Well, it's great to be with you this morning, and I just want to share a few words about uh, Independence Day. You know, obviously, the 4th of July is coming up this Wednesday, and we've got big plans for that to uh, express our love to the community, Um, actually God's love to the community around us. But you'll see the title, oh, if it gets up there, is, uh, there, oh, okay, Independence with a Question Mark. And um, how many of you remember the bicentennial celebration of this country in 1976? Yeah, I remember it. How many of you weren't born yet? Okay. Now, how many of you that raised your hands the first time feel old? (laughs) Okay. That was 36 years ago. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? (laughs) 236 years ago on the 4th of July, our founding fathers in Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence. And uh, it wasn't signed on that day, like some of us assume, but it was about a month later on August 2nd that they began signing the Declaration. And, um, and I want to read to you the first little portion of that Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. A lot of wordiness there. This next paragraph here is the one we tend to sticks in our minds. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the part we remember. How many of you remember anything after that? (laughs) Uh, Some kids that are still in school that had to memorize it for history might still remember it. Yeah. American freedom and independence are really, I think, one of the core values of our nation, right? It's very important to us. And without getting into details, I believe that God had a direct hand in the founding of this great nation we call the United States of America. He had a direct hand in it. It was on purpose. Why did he do that? Why did he help to make sure that the United States of America came into being? Was it because the U.S. was now his new chosen people? I don't think so. Was it because he believes wholeheartedly in freedom and independence? Yes, but not in the way that we typically understand it. As much as I appreciate this country, I don't think we as a nation were really the focus at all in the founding of our freedom and our independence as a people. I don't think that was his focus one bit. The more time I spend in times, time in, in God's word and the more time I spend listening to his heart, the more I'm convinced, and here's my main point if you're, in your notes if you're following along. The main point, God was on mission. 
God was simply on mission. What is his mission? It's to reconnect people to himself. As a people, we have sinned and fallen away and went our own way away from God. And his whole mission from the very beginning, he set into, plan, um, into motion the plans of sending Jesus to, to die for our sins, to save us, to, to, to pay the penalty that we deserve. His mission all along was to reconnect us to himself. Like the prodigal father with the son who was away. He wants and is waiting for us to come back. His mission, I don't believe, really had anything to do with the United States helping other, other nations secure their own democracy either. Even though we've been a, a big part of that in many cases and sometimes failed. But over the years, the United States has been a powerful force for the spreading of the good news of Jesus all around the world. All over the world, the United States has been a powerful force, sending out missionaries by the hundreds of thousands over those last 200 years. Hundreds of thousands of missionaries have left their free and independent homes here in the United States where they're safe and secure and traveled to the far reaches of the globe for one purpose. They were on mission to connect people to God. That's what it was all about. And I think God knew that as this nation was founded on him, that we would be a big part of that. You could argue other reasons for it all, but I think that is one powerful reason. There are stories in those early days of, of the missionaries heading off to the far reaches of the globe. In those early days, many of them would pack all their belongings in a coffin. And that would be the crate they used to haul their things over there with, knowing that at some point they would be using that coffin. Because they weren't planning on coming back. They were going to die there. In many cases, sooner than later. A great missionary biography, if you want to read a good book, it's called Bruchko. And a story of Bruce Olson, a young man from Minnesota who felt the call of God to go reach the, uh, the Indian tribes in Colombia and Central America. First encounter with them, they speared him and left him to die. He survived it and went right back to that same village. And today they're a Christian, Christian people. It's, it's pretty, pretty powerful, pretty amazing. There's a man named Bernard Johnson who I heard tell a story about his own father. His father was a merchant marine, he traveled all over the world, and every time they pulled into port, he would go find a bar, and he would usually cause a big ruckus. In fact, the last time he was in Rio de Janeiro, he caused such a ruckus, they kicked him out of Rio de Janeiro and said, don't you ever come back. That's quite a status, huh? He got back on the ship. <clears throat> Their next stop was Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, he's walking down the street, heading for a bar. And he happens to walk past this little storefront church. And there were people outside. There was a service going on. And there were people out front talking to people as they went past. And a man stepped in front of him to talk to him about Jesus. And he was about ready to knock the guy out of the way when he realized his feet would not move. He could not move pick up his feet off the pavement. Something was holding him there. How many of you would that get your attention? 
And so he listened for a bit, and when he made the choice to go on in and hear what they had to say, his feet were released. And he went in, and he gave his heart to Jesus. He said, I want to follow this Jesus. His next stop was Seattle. He gets off the ship. He heads down the street, not to find a bar, but to find a church. And he found a church, and he walked in, and he's sitting there listening to the sermon. But he also noticed a cute lady across the aisle. And after the service, he asked if he could walk her home. She said, sure, but, you know, we have to ask my parents. And they said, yes, but we're going to walk right behind you. <clears throat> so they walked home. They got to their house, and he asked her to marry him. I would not suggest this plan for courtship, okay? But she said yes. He got back on the ship. The next stop was Anchorage. He bought the wedding ring. The next stop was back in Seattle, and he married her. And they settled in Los Angeles, and he built up a, a good-sized construction company. He had kids. Everything was going great. He's up on a roof one day working, and he heard the voice of God in his heart speak to him clearly and said, I want you to go back to Rio de Janeiro. And that's the place he just got, you know, not just, but the last time he was there, he was literally kicked out. So he goes, he was going to an Assembly of God church and he went to um, their leaders and, and said, God wants me to be a missionary to Rio de Janeiro. And they said, well, okay, how, how many years have you pastored? Um, zero? Um, okay, well, how, how many years of Bible college do you have behind you? Um, zero? And they said, well, you know, we can't send you. You're not ready. You're not prepared. And he said, well, God called me to go. So he went home, sold the construction company, loaded his family on a ship. This was back when they traveled by ships primarily. So it was a long time ago. Loaded his family on a ship. Extended family was all there crying and saying goodbye. But he was smiling. He was going to do what God had called him to do. After however long it takes to sail through the Panama Canal to Rio de Janeiro, they're finally pulling into port, and the family and kids, you know, the wife and kids, they're all excited. And he's weeping. Because he sees the souls of people that aren't connected with God yet and need to be. He hits the ground running. He just starts sharing the love of Jesus with people. People start accepting Jesus as their Savior and and uh, he starts training them up and discipling them. Pretty soon he's got local pastors pastoring these groups of people in their homes and wherever. After a while of being there, somebody from that Assembly of God office that he initially went to, they heard that there was this rogue guy out there on his own. They sent somebody down there to spend some time there and check him out. Spent a week there with him. They went home and sent him his credentials in the mail. Never done that before. And it was about well, quite a few years later. I mean, he spent his career there. His son, who was telling this story, became a missionary as well. And he was an adult, and he has now passed away. But the, the adult, uh, as an adult, he was a missionary, and he was out of, out of the country when his father passed away, the man we're talking about. So he goes back home to take care of everything, and... In their culture and down there in that day, they, they viewed the body at the home, in the house. And so they had the body in a casket there at the house. 
When he got there, there was a line over a mile long of people wanting to pay their respects to that man who meant so much to them and their community. His practical mind, he's thinking, okay, we've got to figure out a way to get him to the cemetery. It's hot out. His body's not going to last long here. And um, he's trying to come up with a station wagon or something to fit him in. And Six of those pastors that he had led to the Lord and that were now pastoring there came to him and said, he's not going in a car. They carried his caskets three and a half miles to the cemetery in that sweltering heat out of respect for the man who gave his whole life so that they could be connected to Jesus. That's just one small example of the hundreds of thousands that went and shared the love of Jesus with people that they didn't even know. I truly believe that the mission of God, that that the mission was God's purpose in establishing the United States. I'm convinced of that. In many ways, I think that the freedom and independence that we enjoy as a nation can really be a hindrance to our walk with Christ. It really can be a hindrance. How can that be? I'm glad you asked. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want us to be free. In fact, um, at one point, Jesus goes to his hometown um, of Nazareth, where he grew up, and he goes into the synagogue. You'll find this in Luke chapter 4. He goes into the synagogue, and uh, at the you know, like the church basically. And he goes in there and it was time to read the scripture. And so they handed him the scroll that had the Bible on it, which was only the Old Testament at the time. They didn't have any New Testament. So they handed him the scroll. He opens it up to Isaiah 61. And he reads a prophecy about himself. I mean, that is just a cool thing. But he opens it up and he reads these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he closes the scroll and he he says, by the way, this prophecy that I just read, It's coming true right now in front of your face. They loved it so much they kicked him out of town. Literally, they did. They didn't believe him. But he came to set the oppressed free. How many of you have ever been oppressed? How many of you want to be free? (laughs) He came for freedom. So he's into that. He's into freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And he says, Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I actually like the New Living Translation of that, and I've got that up here. So Christ was truly, has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up in slavery to the law. Make sure you don't, with this freedom, get tied up into a different kind of slavery. Unless, like Paul, you would say, I'm a slave to Christ and to him alone. So here's another point in your notes. He has set us free. Why? Okay, this is really profound, so be careful. Listen close. So we could be free. Hallelujah. He set us free so we could be free. 
Think about that for a little bit. So, of course, he wants us to be free. But is he talking about freedom as a nation? No, he's not. He's not even talking about our individual physical freedom. He's talking about our spiritual freedom. Freedom in our soul. How do I know that? Well, there's a few reasons that I think I know that, um, and they're not necessarily in your notes. Um, I had the message ready, but I didn't have all the notes ready, and Russ wanted them sooner than I wanted to give them, so they're not quite all on here. So there's room on the back, okay? There's a few reasons that I think that he meant our spiritual freedom. And one is, just look, um, look around us. Are we really free in this free nation even? Think about that a minute. Yes, you're free to not pay your property taxes. The state's also free to come and take your house away from you. Right? So, you know, are we really free in that sense? As compared to other countries, yes, we might be freer, but are we truly free? Well, let's look at the definition of freedom to kind of find that out. It means the absence of coercion or constraint in choice or action. Okay, we we get coerced a lot of times into things we really don't want to do, don't we? I won't even get into the political stuff going on nowadays. We're not even going to go there. Okay? Another definition is liberation from slavery or restraint from the power of another. Independence. Okay? When the United States declared their independence from England, we separated ourselves from the restraint of their power. Right? Well... I hate to tell you this, but there's always somebody bigger and stronger than you are as individuals, right? So we're really not technically free. The second reason that I think we're not is that the first disciples thought that Jesus was going to set them free from the tyranny of Rome. That was their whole hope. And, you know, okay, is this now when you're going to set up your kingdom and, and kick Rome out? And Jesus was like, no, you're missing the point. Jesus did not intend to do that. He, he didn't even really seem to care what was going on politically at the time. If you can believe that. He didn't really seem to care. And even the Apostle Paul, in all of his writings, didn't seem to care what was going on politically. Now, when Paul was writing Scripture, and he wrote a lot of the New Testament, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, I mean, he, he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And when he was writing, a lot of that time, Nero was in power. Now, if you know your history at all, you know that what Nero was doing, what was going on politically in those days, doesn't hold a candle to the worst of what's going on in this country. And what did Paul have to say about all that? He said, pray for those leaders, for your national leaders. Pray for them. That was basically all he had to say about it. So it really wasn't, we see that that wasn't their point. That wasn't their focus. The third thing is, we see in the life of Paul and others, but specifically in Paul, that he was regularly thrown into jail or prison for talking about Jesus. Now, we don't experience that in this country yet. But he was thrown into jail for it and beaten for it. 
I'm going to go to Acts chapter 16. So in my um, trusty iPod here or electronic device that I have to turn the pages in, um, in Acts chapter 16, so I, I'm not as, quite as techy as Russ. There's a great account here in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Paul and Silas, they're going along. They're just really minding their own business. And um, it says that once when they were going to the place of prayer, okay, they were, they were just going to find a place to pray. He says, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Interesting, huh? She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, that's interesting. She had this spirit in her, but it recognized, it knew the spirit that was in Paul and Silas. And it's declaring to everybody, I mean, these... As I think about it, it's kind of interesting. She was a fortune teller. I mean, she told the future. Well, she was just doing what, <laughs> what the spirit in her was typically used to doing. These guys are the ones that can tell you how to be saved. That is a strange account, isn't it? She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. She was set free. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, because of course it is all about money, right? And dragged them into the market to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing the city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful to the, to, for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, okay, this wasn't just a slap on the hand. This wasn't a fine. They were beaten and severely flogged. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Are they free physically? <laughs> Not at all. They're, in, in fact, there's a good chance they're probably unconscious. Okay? But are they free spiritually? Let's read on. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, okay, put yourself in their shoes. You've been beaten, severely flogged, that's like with a whip, and I mean, you're bloody. Your feet are in, you know, tied up in these stocks. You're in a dirty... I mean, obviously, they didn't have MTV and, and videos and weight machines in this prison, okay? So they're stuck in there, and they, they come to, and what is their first response? I know what mine would be. Where's my lawyer? Get me out of here. This is miserable. We'd be crying and whining, wouldn't we? because we're used to being independent and free. Their first response was to sing and pray to God. Do you know how sometimes the simplest um, ways of hearing something can be the most powerful? I remember 
watching a, a little kid's video on this account one time, an animated video. And they were in this prison and they came to and, and one of them says to the other, he says, let's leave this place. And they start singing to God. Their spirit was not bound. No matter what anybody did to them on the outside, they were free. Free as could be. So we know it's about freedom spiritually. So the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, and I, I could stop there, but we just got to finish the end of the story here. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and all of the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains became loose. Okay, that wasn't a normal earthquake. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. In other words, he was responsible for them. If they escaped, he was going to be dead anyway. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas and then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to them and all the others in the house, in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailers took them and washed their wounds then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And it was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. He became free. He was the one that kept others bound and now he became free. The fourth reason I think that um, I know that it was about spiritual freedom is and this is really the foundation of the other three that I mentioned. Really, Jesus said so. <laughs> we could have just started there and left there. But in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into, gathered into a fire and burn. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you, when you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. My point here in, in that where I said Jesus said it's about spiritual freedom, the point, I think it's up there. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So, remember the definition of freedom? Where we talk the, um, the freedom from another power, the coercion of another power? Any, anybody, you know, figured out a way to reach God's power yet? <laughs> to attain to that level? Not even close. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. 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 Well, that's not true. I mean, I can go... I can do my job. I can lift heavy things. I, can, I mean, there's a lot of things I can do, right? I've been doing it all my life. Who gave you that ability? Who gave it to you? Jesus did. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I really believe, in, and here's a good point you can write on the back. I didn't get this one on there. 
But the only way to truly be free is to be totally dependent on the only one who is truly free. Only God is big enough, strong enough, powerful enough to be 100% free from any coercion, anything from anyone else, anything, anywhere. Only God. So the only way that we can truly be free is to be totally dependent on Him, to give Him our very lives. How do we do that? Sometimes maybe we need to declare an emergency. I read an article recently about, in an aviation magazine about when it's appropriate to declare an emergency. And they shared this account about a twin-engine plane that was flying in and he lost an engine. Now, they're intended to fly with one engine. You can do it. You know, if, if everything, all the conditions are right, you know, they, you don't just crash immediately. You can still fly, but it's tougher. And he lost an engine, so he radios in and says, I've lost an engine. And they said, are you declaring an emergency? And he, like most good Americans, said, well, no, I can, I can still fly it. Everything's good. And they said, okay, and left him alone. And he had to wait in line for other planes to land and, and, and take his turn, just like everybody else. And he was frustrated, and he landed without incident. But if he had declared an emergency, if when the man said, are you declaring an emergency, he would said yes, you know what they would have done? They would have cleared the path. Everyone else is in a holding pattern. The emergency vehicles are out there, ready to help. They would have landed right now. They need it because they would have help because they have an emergency. In our dependence, or independence, I mean, in our independence, we tend to want to say, I can do it myself. Those of you that raised kids, you've heard that before, right? Two-year-olds, I do it myself. And that's really a good thing because how many of you still want to be tying your kids' shoes when they're 30? Okay? In, independence is a good thing. But when we're talking about our spiritual life, it's not. Because when we say to God, I'm going to do it myself, you know what he's going to do? He's going to step back and say, okay, let's see what you got. Have at it. And then when you are finally picking your face up off the floor and you look to him and you say, wait a minute, maybe I can't. He says, okay, now I'll help you. Because you're asking. But you know what? We don't have to fall on our face to ask. We can ask ahead of time. In 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul said, This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Now, there's the American way, huh? No. He was on to something much deeper than we get in our society. I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Does that make sense? Not in the American mind, because we all want to be strong, don't we? <clears throat> Paul says, I want to be weak. Why did he say that? Because he understood that if I just recognize the truth that I really am weak, because we all are, aren't we? Amen. If 
I recognize that truth and say, I'm really weak. I cannot do this on my own. I've fallen on my face enough times to know that I am weak. And if I recognize that, that's when God does step in with his strength. And when we have God's strength, nothing can beat us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? So I rewrote that little Declaration of Independence phrase for us. And it's in your notes, and I think I have it up here too. I call it our Declaration of Dependence on God. And this first line is the same. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that we are, they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life as defined by God. Okay, if we just say, oh, I have a right to life, which we do, but as a, as a follower of Jesus, you know, if life is defined by MTV or movies or whatever else is out there, then I may not be in the right path at all. Most likely not. Jesus defined life for us. Because I have a right to grasp that, to live that life as defined by God. Liberty from selfish desires. How many of your selfish desires have gotten you into trouble before? I want to be free from those. I want the desires of Jesus to be in my heart. Back in that passage I read in, uh, where was, okay, in, in John 15, where Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Towards the end there, in verse 7, he says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Do you think that's true if you're not in him and he in you and you're dependent on him? Okay, that's, there's a condition there. It's not just anything you want. Oh, I need a new Cadillac. So I'm going to ask. You don't need a new Cadillac. You might be able to afford one or might be able to have one and that's fine. Who cares? It's the spirit that matters. It's the spirit that matters. Liberty from selfish desires. I want to spend enough time with Jesus that his desires become my desires. I heard a definition once for, for intercessory prayer. It's getting close enough to Jesus that you hear what he's praying and you pray the same thing. That's good. And then the last one is the pursuit. Not of happiness, which I think God wants you to be happy, but I think if we're just pursuing happiness, we're going about it the wrong way. The pursuit of obedience. Because if we're going to obey him and live the life the way he intends us to live, at that point, we will have the happiness that he desires for us to have. And there's nothing this world has to offer that can compare. We might be struggling to get there, but we need to be pursuing Jesus. So what's the next step? What do we do about this? You might be able to come up with a lot of specific steps, but I'm just going to give you one basic one that I think should help us. 
Just like as a nation we declared our independence 236 years ago, and we've had to, over those years, fight to stay free. It wasn't a one-time thing. We've had to go to battle. We've had to go to war to stay free as a nation. It's the same in our spiritual life. We have to declare our dependence on God every day. Every day. We have to remind ourselves. If you're like me at all, you get forgetful. You wake up in the morning and you just start your day and you go doing everything under your own power. And you forget to stop and say, Jesus, I need you today. I need to depend on you. I need to declare an emergency maybe. But, but at the very basic, I need your help because I am weak. And as we remind ourselves to do that again and again and again, we're going in the right path, in the right direction. And that's what it's all about. Um, we have to remind ourselves. The truth is, as, as we sang that song earlier, you won't relent until you have it all. He won't re- relent. Now, um, let me just ask a question real quick, not of you guys, but because I don't see anything. Is there communion prepared? I understood that there might be. There is. Okay, that's so. And Another thing that we can do to help remind ourselves. Okay, we just need to remind ourselves every day to be dependent. One of the ways that we do remind ourselves is communion. And we are going to receive communion this morning. And so if you guys would go ahead and prepare for that, um, we're going to do it right now. But um, just a couple of housekeeping things first. We practice open communion here, which means if you are a follower of Jesus, I don't care how, if you've fallen down trying to follow. Who hasn't? But if you're trying to follow Jesus, then you're free to join in this with us. You don't have to be a member here officially or anything like that. And, and if, you're, if you're curious, what, what does all this mean? You've seen communion before, or maybe you haven't, but we, we take a little bit of juice and we take a little piece of bread and we, and we, and we eat those. But they re, and I'm going to read the scripture here in a minute. But the juice reminds us, it's, a, it's just an emblem, it's a picture of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross when he died to pay the penalty for our sins. It's a picture of that. And the the bread is a picture of his broken body because he was broken. He was beaten beyond anything we can imagine. He experienced all of that so that we could be free. He took our punishment and this is simply a way of reminding us of that. It's just a reminder. And so it's a good thing that we do it. Go ahead and begin distributing the elements. So I'd like you to just, as they're passed by, just hold them until everybody has been served and we will take of them together. Thank you.